Hello, my name is Eva, and today, since we're just weeks away from Christmas, I thought I might talk about Lucia of Syracuse, more commonly known as Saint Lucy or Santa Lucia, and her connection to Christmas. Before we start, just a few housekeeping notes. This will be the last episode before Christmas, and the next episode will be published in the first week of 2023. Incredible just saying that, 2023. But before I get lost in that philosophical labyrinth, back to today's subject. Who was this young Sicilian woman whose life ended during the Diocletian persecutions, the last great persecutions of Christians in the Roman Empire? Who was this young woman who is venerated in the Catholic, the Lutheran, the Anglican and the Eastern Orthodox Church? Well, Lucia was born around 283 AD and she died a martyr. And as is the case with the early martyrs, the most definite fact we know about her is the year of her death. For Lucia, it was 304. The earliest historical testimony of Lucia is preserved on the walls of the catacombs in Syracuse as a 4th century inscription mentioning her martyrdom and the yearly celebration of her life. This inscription serves as archaeological evidence of her having existed in a time and a place. Her life and fate were remembered through oral history, possibly written down first in Greek in the Eastern Roman Empire and later translated into Latin where Lucia's story was included in the Golden Legend, a collection of stories about the early saints compiled by the 13th century Archbishop of Genoa, Jacopus di Voragine. The Golden Legend was one of the most popular religious works of the High Middle Ages and did much to spread the legend of Lucia from the Byzantine Empire in the east westwards right across to Ireland. In the Golden Legend, Lucia was described as the daughter of a Roman citizen of noble birth, who died when Lucia was still quite young, leaving her alone with her mother, Lutitia, whose name hints at Greek ancestry. According to the Golden Legend, and later accounts too, such as the 10th century Saints' Lives, written by Elfric, who was Bishop of Ancham near Oxfordshire, Lucia's mother grew ill, and fearing that her daughter would be left without a guardian, Lucia's mother arranged for her daughter's marriage to a young nobleman, a young man of pagan family. But unbeknown to Lucia's mother, Lucia had, at a very young age, taken a secret vow to be bride only to Christ, meaning that she had committed herself to virginity. Lucia dreamt of service to the poor and had already started to give away alms and some of her possessions, and she therefore verbally resisted the marriage plans, which would have set her on a very different trajectory than the one she herself intended. 
Biding her time, Lucia persuaded her mother to make the journey to Catania, some fifty miles away, where Lucia and her mother would have the opportunity to pray at the shrine of St. Agatha, a shrine which was said to have healing powers for sick women. According to the account in the Golden Legend, Lucia was visited in a dream by St. Agatha herself, who encouraged Lucia to stand by her vow of virginity, and in return, her mother would be cured. Professing her vows and her dream to her mother, Lucia's mother was then indeed cured, and in gratitude, the two women gave away many of their possessions to the poor, including jewelry and fine linen. Now, this kind of behavior was traditionally associated with the early Christian martyrs, at least according to the legends of the early saints, and suspicions soon grew that Lucia and her mother must be Christians, that secret group of persecuted people who still had some ten years to go before Constantine the Great would issue the Edict of Milan, allowing Christians to worship without persecution. However, that was all in the future, for in the here and now, in 304, Lucia walked about in Catania, mingling with the destitute, as news of her generous donations filtered back to her betrothed, who did not take kindly to all that giving away of possessions, for they would have been part of Lucia's dowry and ultimately become his possessions once they wed, for in the Roman Empire married women held nothing in their own right, and it all belonged to their husbands. Lucia and her mother were ordered to halt their actions, but as they returned to Syracuse, and Lucia informed her betrothed that her mother had allowed her to remain a virgin, her betrothed went from excited, if rather greedy, would-be husband to absolutely enraged ex-fiancé. And so enraged was he that he denounced Lucia to the governor of Syracuse and accused her of being one of those pesky Christians. Upon her return to Syracuse, Lucia was ordered to make a sacrificial offering to the emperor, as all Roman citizens were duty-bound to do. Now, the case of religion in the Roman Empire was that a Roman citizen was allowed, within limits, of course, to profess a preference for any number of Roman or foreign gods, provided that they made the sacrificial offerings to the emperor on feast days. This was non-negotiable, and failure to comply was seen as treason against the emperor and the state. The early Christian martyrs were put to death for refusing to make this offering, as they argued that such a sacrifice constituted worship of false gods. It was, during the persecutions, a very easy way for the Roman authorities to weed out the most stubborn of the early Christians. When she refused to make the offering, Lucia was, 
condemned to be defiled in a brothel. According to a 10th century account of her life, the Roman soldiers who were then ordered to transport her from her home and into the brothel were unable to move her out of the spot. And even when they tied her to a cart, she still stood rock still on the threshold of her home. And when they instead tried to burn her on the spot, the fire repeatedly went out. Lucia was finally put to the sword with a blade slashed across her throat, leading to her death and martyrdom in that year of 304. So what then, you might ask, has all this got to do with Christmas? Well, not much, not until the late Middle Ages, when two details were added to the story of Lucia. The first detail was that before she died, her resistance to Roman law and customs so enraged the governor of Syracuse that he ordered her eyes gouged out. But when she was killed and later prepared for burial, her eyes miraculously reappeared. This led her to later become the patron saint of the blind. The second detail, which was added during the 15th century, was that before her death, Lucia cared for the persecuted Christians who had sought refuge in the dark catacombs beneath the cities of Sicily. And wishing to bring them water and food, she lit her way through those dark tunnels by candlelight, wearing candles in a wreath on her head so that her hands were free to carry as much food as possible. By the 6th century, Lucia was recognized as a saint of the church, and by the 7th century, Lucia's feast day was recognized as falling the 13th of December, which meant that her feast day fell on the shortest day of the year when using the old Julian calendar. 13th of December, then, equals the 21st of December now by our current Gregorian calendar. However, though her feast day no longer fell on the shortest day when most of the world switched to the Gregorian calendar, in the 19th century it was formally decided to retain the original calendar day of 13th of December, though this is no longer solstice. Now let us return to Lucia and Christmas. It was the story of Lucia bringing light into the darkness of the catacombs, which gradually bound her to the ultimate feast of light, that of Christmas, which lies only a few days away from her own feast day. As mentioned, Saint Lucy, or, as I know her, Santa Lucia, is venerated throughout many denominations, and her feast day is celebrated with different traditions around the world. In this podcast, I will touch upon two traditions, the Sicilian tradition and the Scandinavian, which I know from personal experience. In Sicily, the saint's birthplace, Santa Lucia has been celebrated since antiquity, and in Syracuse in particular, she is celebrated as a deliverer from famine, as local tradition states that a relief ship full of grain docked in the harbour on the 13th of December during a particularly harsh famine in the past. 
To commemorate this, the people of Syracuse traditionally eat whole grains instead of bread on the 13th of December, and the whole grains are made into a dish known as kuchia, consisting of boiled wheat berries with honey. In Scandinavia, the celebration of Santa Lucia was introduced in the 10th century by missionaries sent from Rome to Christianize the region. The Danish king, Harald Bluetooth, or as they might say in Denmark, Harald Blotten, was the first of the Scandinavian sovereigns to declare his country Christian in 975 AD, and the feast day was celebrated thereafter, quickly spreading from Denmark to Sweden, where it was and has remained especially popular. The interesting thing about this, of course, is that the feast day of an essentially Catholic saint weathered the Protestant storm of the Reformation in which feast days and saints were swept aside. How come? Well, there are no definite answers to that, but a few assumptions may be put forward. Firstly, in Scandinavia, the day of Santa Lucia is intrinsically connected to Christmas and is seen as one of the milestones counting down to Christmas. In Scandinavia, the focus of Santa Lucia's story is not that she lost her eyes, but that they were restored. She was given to light and therefore returned with the restored light. This metaphor worked well in the Nordic countries, where light fades around 3 p.m., and sometimes 2 p.m. on the darkest days of winter, culminating in the absolutely shortest day of the year, which in Scandinavia, as well as in other parts, fell on the 13th of December, right until 1700s, when the shift was made to the Gregorian calendar. In the Nordic tradition, Lucia was seen almost as an angel at the end of a dark tunnel of winter which led to Christmas. And in the Nordic countries, her feast day is closely associated with candlelight. Candlelight is invested with particular symbolism in many areas of Nordic culture. In Denmark, candles are lit in the windows on the evening of May the 4th to commemorate the ending of the German occupation during World War II. Advent is celebrated with candles. December is known as the month of light, and Christmas is spoken of as the feast of light. If you have ever been to Norway, Sweden, Finland, or Denmark during the winter, you might have experienced that black darkness that can engulf the world in those winter months, and candles hold that at bay. So the fact that Santa Lucia is associated with light might be the reason that her feast day managed to survive the Reformation in many parts of Scandinavia, for the feast day tapped into already existing needs to celebrate the return of light. While Sweden was one of the first countries outside of the United States and Britain to use electricity in industry, doing so already in 1882, and was also quick to light up private homes with electricity. 
there was, in the early 20th century, a popular movement to return to the traditional use of candlelights on days of celebration, partly, of course, out of necessity during the Depression, and partly out of resurgence of old forgotten feast days that were not necessarily public holidays, but came into the public mind again via authors and poets. This in part helped revive the feast day of Santa Lucia, which until the 20th century had been a small religious observance, but now evolved into a lighter, secular affair as it merged with other 19th century Christmas traditions into its modern-day celebration. So then how is Santa Lucia celebrated in Scandinavia? Well, in Sweden, the Santa Lucia feast day centers around a Lucia procession, which became a hugely popular public event after 1927, when the first Santa Lucia maiden was named by a popular Swedish newspaper. The newspaper crowned the Santa Lucia maiden with a woven wreath with candles. This event quickly became tradition and spread to all classes and areas of society. And today, every school, every kindergarten, every university picks one Santa Lucia maid who leads a procession of white-robed girls and sometimes boys as they walk the halls of their school or the streets of their town while singing a Santa Lucia song. The Santa Lucia maid is clad all in white with a red sash to symbolize Lucia's martyrdom. To this day, the Lucia maid still wears a crown with candles. Well, for the very little, it is usually artificial light, but for everyone else, it is the beautiful, if daunting, task of walking majestically with living candles on your head. It is usually done in the dark, either in the morning or late in the afternoon, or indoors with all the lights turned off. It is a very beautiful and moving sight. I once walked in a procession myself when I was young, down the hall of a nursing home, where we as young people walked and sang the Santa Lucia song. In Denmark, the celebration of Santa Lucia by burning candles came to the fore around 1944 as a discreet way of showing opposition to the German occupation. It was formerly a religious event in Denmark, but has, as indeed it has in Norway and Finland, evolved into a far more secular event, exemplified by the costumes of the boys who might join in the procession, if they are not wearing white, they are sometimes clad as elves, which is decidedly not biblical. In Denmark, I have also walked in a procession, and in Denmark, the focus is on the singing by young children. Now, one may wonder what the historical Lucia might think of these modern celebrations. There is great prestige involved in being picked as the Lucia maid in Denmark and in Sweden. 
but the 4th century inscription on the catacombs hailed Lucia as a very humble maid who wished for no great distinction. So how would she think of the great prestige it is nowadays to be hailed as a Lucia maid? Well, perhaps it is a testament to the qualities her contemporaries saw in her that they sought to retell her story again and again, and in so doing, secured the memory of her until this day. And neither she nor her chroniclers could then know how we would interpret what we see and what we read through the lens of history. When looking back, at Lucia's Restless Times. I hope you liked this episode, the last before Christmas. Soon I shall be travelling to be with family, and Christmas for me is all about candlelight and togetherness. Now whether you are off to celebrate Christmas or other important days for you and your family, I wish you all happy holidays. And thank you so much for joining me on this journey as I start out my happy life as a podcaster. Thank you so much. And until next time, I have been Eva and may bright candles ever light your path.